Lord, thank you for today and um, thank you for your blessing. That's honest. Thank you for your presence in this place. Father, I pray even as we, as we spend this next 15 or 20 minutes just looking at your word, that you would say something to each of our hearts that just shows us a way to live and to be that is the way that you created us to live and to be. Well, I pray that, that, that as I look at this and as I speak, that, that your words would ring true. I pray, Lord, that the stuff that's of me in it, that you just let it fall and forget about it. But, Lord, what you want us to hear, what you want us to know, what you want to make a difference in our lives, are, Lord, that just comes straight through. Father, we just commit this next few minutes into your hands. Amen. Can I just say, the quality of the tea and coffee food is getting better every week, isn't it? I don't know who the person, but there's somebody here, obviously, in the spirit, because they brought a Battenberg, and it's my very favorite cake. So whoever it was, God bless you. You got the right cake. We're going to have a look at the coffee was good too, wasn't it? We're going to have a look over the next two weeks at a couple of people's life stories out of Scripture. And, and, and I have that phrase up here, who the man, you the man. You the man. And usually if someone says you the man now, it's like it's a compliment, isn't it? Generally, it's like, yeah, you the man. Yeah, you, you, you got your, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, she and you the man. You're up there singing this morning. Yeah. Say to destiny, you the man. You're up there doing that. It's a popular phrase. Hallelujah. Look at him down there. But you know what? When it was said in the scripture, it wasn't always meant as a compliment because it was usually pinning somebody for doing something they shouldn't have been doing. Do you ever have somebody say you the man when you don't really want to be the man? <laughs> or the woman for that matter. And you're the one who's, 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 who's pinned on it. So what I want to do this week is look at three people that you the man was said to. And next week I want to look at the three people who said it. Um, and I'm just very briefly going to look at three life stories that we could honestly spend 10 weeks just talking about one person and never, never even scratch the surface. Because you can't, when you think about your own life, there is no way somebody in 20 minutes could do you justice for a life. Because there's so much happens in a life. But we end up being judged, being looked at by decisions, by moments in our life. And other people look at us and they go on that moment and they make decisions on it. And sometimes they're good decisions and sometimes they're bad ones. And sometimes we end up losing relationship and sometimes we end up gaining relationship over simple decisions. And the most important relationship that we can have I 100% believe is a relationship with Jesus and with God. It is the most important relationship. And all through the 30 years nearly that I have known him, I have made so many decisions that have brought me closer and so many decisions that have brought me further away. And I have messed up so many times. But the one thing I have noticed is every time I have made a decision to go back, he has made a decision to accept me. And he has continuously made that choice. 
And I want to look at three people who, um, one who I believe didn't make the decision to go back at the end. And two others, one who really messed up and did go back, and one who you can make your own mind up whether he messed up or not. But we're going to look at Saul in the Old Testament. He was a king in Israel. He was the first king of Israel. The nation had gone through a series of things called judges and prophets, and there was all kinds of people, and God was their king. But the people decided they wanted a real king like everyone around them. And I'm thinking, even as I'm saying this, that I have often experienced that as a Christian, that uh, I have God and he's my, he's my king, but I want what the people in the world have a lot of times, which is like lunacy when I think about it. But at the time, it seems like a good idea. And these thought it was a good idea. So a guy called Samuel, who was a prophet of God, was sent to find the king and to make somebody king. And God sent him. And he found this guy, Saul. And you'll see his story in 1 Samuel and 1 Samuel 9. And he finds Saul and he tells him, I want to meet with you. And in verse 27 he says, so that I may give you a message from God. This guy was being anointed king at the word of God. He was being picked by God to be the king over this country. And then it goes on in 1 Samuel 10. And it says, Samuel took a flask of oil and he poured it all over Saul's head and he kissed him saying, he has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance. And then he goes on to a big spiel about what's going to happen to him over the next few days. And um, for the sake of time, please take the time during the week and read this. Um, listen to the podcast, not because you want to hear my voice again, but listen to it so you can get the scripture references and read them. And read the stories and check up that what I'm telling you is even the truth. Should always do that. But look into it and let God point things out to you and let him show you stuff. But Saul goes off anyway and he does a load of stuff. And he does great things. He ended up being king for 42 years. Some of them are good and some of them are bad. And a lot of the stuff he did in the beginning was great. And then he seemed to go downhill. And he made some really bad decisions. Um, two of them in specific that kind of stand out. One is when he was told in chapter 13, that he was to go and have a battle. And Samuel the prophet said, you got all the guys, go over there, wait until I get there, and I'll do the sacrifices. And we'll pray to God, and then you go out and fight the battle. And when Saul got there, all his men were getting panicked. And some of them started leaving and stuff. And instead of waiting and doing what God had told them to do, and wait a few days until your man got here to have the sacrifices. Saul panicked and did the sacrifices himself. And stepped into a role that he shouldn't have been in. And wasn't supposed to be in. And when Samuel came, he told them he had done a very foolish thing. In verse 13, he said this to Saul. You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. And if you had, if you had he would have established your kingdom for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler over his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Saul made one decision here, but this decision seemed to be a kind of a, an indication of where his heart was at. He was more worried about what the guys were thinking. He was more worried about what was going to happen to him than he was about doing what God was telling him to do. In chapter 15, Saul again 
was told to go to this place, kill everybody, blah blah And then Samuel turns up and he goes, I did everything God told me to do. And Samuel said, how come I can hear cows and sheep out the back? They're all supposed to be dead. And again he said, oh, I was afraid of the men. We were keeping them for to make a sacrifice. He got caught up in the stuff that was happening all around him and missed out on doing what God had told him to do. And because of those things, and even after this, Samuel said, I'm going. I'm not, I'm not having anything to do with this. And Saul then said, because they're all looking at me, please do not leave until you do the sacrifice. Because my reputation with them is really important to me. And I wondered, I wondered about me, I'm not talking about yours, but I wondered about me, man, how many times has my reputation with people been more important than my reputation with God? How many times have I been more worried about what people would think about me than what God thought about me? How many times have I backed away from stuff, not said stuff, not done stuff because of what other people were thinking or what I thought other people were thinking or would think than what God had directly told me to do? Saul started off well. He was anointed and appointed by God to do something. And he started off really well. But he got totally sidetracked. And he finished really badly. You know, he ended up killing himself. He was in a battle. He got injured. And he took his own life. So that he wouldn't, again, so he wouldn't get captured by other people. Because of what other people might do to him. There was no... There was no place in his life to trust that God had his life in his hands and that he could take care of him in no matter what the situation. And I just thought that was really sad that he ended up somebody who had been king. He was tormented for years. He was never happy. He just like, seemed to be miserable and then ended up taking his own life. And he had been anointed and appointed by God. But decisions, there was something going on in his heart where he couldn't get to a place where he could just go, God, you can have it all. And that's the bottom line. And until we can get to a place where we can go, God, you can have all of it, not just the bits that I'm happy for you to have. I don't know if any of you has listened. To, I know one person listened to a message I sent out yesterday from Erwin McManus. Um, and he talked about um, Jesus meeting Zacchaeus. And, and here's the thing. He said, today I want to go to your house. And what Erwin was bringing out in that message, which I just thought was amazing, is we're quite happy sometimes going to God's house because we call this God's house, which isn't really, but anyway, we do. And we go and visit God once a week and all the rest of it. God's not interested in you visiting him once a week. He wants to come and live with you. And he wants all access, all areas. He's not interested in the little bits you're willing to give him. He wants the whole shooting match. And here's the amazing thing. When you give him the whole shooting match, it gets amazing. When you struggle against him and fight against him, you usually end up miserable. Most people I know who have done that end up miserable. We'll move on. 1 Samuel 16, we meet David, a shepherd boy. Here's our second story. This young fellow was not kingly. When they picked Saul, they really looked like he was, he was the king. He was a head and shoulders above everybody. He had to look for it. David obviously didn't. Because even when Samuel met David's brothers, he went to see the, the dad, met all the brothers. One of your sons is going to be the king. Bring all your sons here. The father brought everybody except David. He didn't even bring him in. He was left out in the field. And when Samuel saw one of the brothers, who I can't even think of his name right now, Eliab, 
he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is here. This is obviously the guy. So he must have looked six foot tall and handsome and whatever it was. And God said, no, he's not the one I'm after. I'm not interested and I don't look at people the way you look at them. So here's the thing. Now, I want you to, for a second, because what I really thought it was great to show Cody's thing, because um, we're not like, we don't promote America's Got Talent. That's not my job. But, uh, but there's some cracking moments on it, so I can't beat it. The outward appearances when you looked at that guy, what was it? Nothing. He's no good for him. He's blind. So he can't even see, he can't make his own way around the place. He has to be carried everywhere, brought everywhere, everything done for him. He's autistic. What can he do? And then he sits at a piano and sings and blows it away. Because God put something inside of him. And when God looks at you and he looks at me, he doesn't see the outside appearance. He doesn't look at what everyone else around you is looking at. You're too tall, you're too small, you're too fat, you're too skinny, you're too ugly, you're too this, you're too that, you're too the other. He looks at your heart. And he's not even looking for somebody who can do stuff. He's looking for someone who's willing to. He's not looking for how skilled you are, how talented you are, how great you are, anything. All he's looking for is that you're willing to be willing to let him show you what he wants you to do and teach you to do it. Are you willing to step into that place? Are you willing to step up? Are you willing to risk your reputation for his? Because he gave up his for us. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature. I like that one because I'm not very big. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. David eventually ended up being king. One of the most famous of all. Starting out, he was full of courage, integrity, fairness. He was loved by God. He was loved by the people. Even when Saul, who was the king just before him, was doing desperate things to him, trying to kill him and all the rest of them, he still kept his loyalty and he wouldn't touch Saul because he knew Saul was the Lord's anointed. He had a chance twice to kill him and he didn't kill him. Yet your man was trying to kill him. He left it in God's hands. He was full of integrity. He was doing amazing stuff. He wrote loads of the Psalms. He was a lover of God. Absolute lover of God. But he was still a man. He was still flawed. He still messed up. Now he messed up, I'm sure, in loads of ways, but there's one massive one that's recorded for us all to know about, and that was about Bathsheba. And it's in 2 Samuel 11. You can look it up. And I'm going to give you a very brief synopsis. He saw her. He found out she was married. He sent for her. He slept for her. He killed her husband. And he hid it. He had about a thousand wives. It wasn't like he needed But he'd done all of this, and yet he was the Lord's anointed, and he was a man after God's own heart. And then God sends Nathan, when it was Saul, God was sending Samuel to him. And we'll talk about Samuel next week and Nathan. God sent Nathan to David. And I want you, while you think, if, hopefully you might think about this during the week, think about what it must have been like, because this is what we're going to talk about next week, for Nathan and Samuel and another guy, Ananias, later on, to go to these people and go, you're the guy. You're, out of, you're off the wall here. You're not right. In verse 7 of 2 Samuel 12, God sends Nathan. And Nathan goes, you're the man. You've sinned. You did this. 
You took that man's wife and you killed him. David messed up big time. But you know what he did? He owned it. He didn't go like Saul did and go, well, the men were this and there was that happening 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 and there was that happening. And he went, yeah, I sinned. Verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. Do you know what happened when he owned it? God forgave him. He had to live with the consequences of it. They were messy. His family got screwed up because of it. Lots of things didn't work out as well as they could have. But he finished well. Not perfect, but well. He ended up with his son being rebellion against him, setting up, trying to set up a new kingdom. He had to run away. There's loads of stuff. You read the story of David, it's better than any movie you're going to get on. Honest to God, on Netflix. Just sit down and read the whole story for a couple of hours. Or something. It's absolutely amazing. It has everything in it. War. Murder, adultery, it's got everything. Best movies on Netflix haven't got what that has in it. But David finished well. Do you know why he finished well? Because when he messed up, he went back to God. He made a decision and a choice to go back to God. He didn't go, I've messed up, it's all over. I might as well just keep going down this road. Let the hole get bigger. I'm just going to get worse. And that's what Saul, what happened with him. He just got worse and worse and worse. But David messed up and got out of the cul-de-sac and came back and got back on the road again with God. And then the last person I want to look at is 28 generations later. A huge amount of time has gone through. Tons of stuff has happened in the country. And we have had Jesus come, be crucified, rise again and go back to heaven. And we meet this other guy called Saul, a second Saul. And he hates Christians with a passion. But he loves God. In his own warped way, he loves God. He is a student of um, Gamiel, I think I can never pronounce the man's name. He's a student of this guy. He is like a Pharisee. He's, like, he's spot on. He is one of the top of the top of the top of the people who loved God and kept all the rules. He was the man. All right? But he taught Christians... We're destroying his religion and taking people away from God. And he thought the story that the apostles were spreading about Jesus needed to be stopped. So he'd done everything in his power to stop them. He got letters of authority so he could put people in prison. He had them tortured. The first time we actually meet him in the scriptures, he's at the stoning of one of the disciples of Jesus. There's a man called Stephen who's getting killed because he's a follower of Jesus. And Saul is there holding the coats of the people that are throwing the rocks at him. It's in Acts 7, if you want to look it up. He was doing his absolute best to stop people coming to know Jesus. He was killing them. He was doing all kinds of stuff. And he'd done it all in Jerusalem, the city where this was all happening. And then, I think he must have thought, I've done enough here. I'm moving on now to the next city. So he's taking care of Dublin, now he's going to Cork. He's going to sort the people out down there. Right? So he's going to Damascus. Before I ever read the Bible, I knew about a Damascus Road experience. Did you ever hear about that? You get this thing. You get like a bolt of lightning. I'd heard it for loads. In Acts 9, he has a Damascus Road experience. He's on his way to this place with letters of authority to kill people 
to lock them up, to drag them back in chains to Jerusalem so that they could be killed because they loved Jesus or they followed Jesus. He's on his way there and he encounters God. And it's in a blinding light and he gets knocked off his horse and all kinds of stuff happens. And he ends up blind and he ends up in a house. And there's this guy called Ananias who was told to go to him and pray for him and tell him he's the man. That God has put his finger on him. It says the Lord told him to Ananias, sorry, in Damascus, there was a disciple's name, Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. And he said, yes, Lord. And he said, go to the house on Judas Street, Joseph's house of Judas on Straight Street, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And God told Ananias to tell him that he was his chosen instrument to proclaim his name to the Gentiles and their kings. And to the people of Israel. And it goes on and there's loads more. Paul was somebody who hated Christians. Who had been responsible for Christians being killed. Who had been responsible for people being tortured. Who was responsible for people going to prison because they loved Jesus. And God puts his finger on them and says, you're the fellow I want going there telling everyone about Jesus. That's like if you could get the Ayatollah and say... God says to him, now I want you to go out and start telling everybody about Jesus. Try and compute this in your head for the person you know who is the absolute hater of anything to do with God, hater of anything to do with religion, hater of anything to do with Jesus and the Lord that we serve, and then him being the one who's coming in and telling you now, I just met Jesus, I think he's great, you should follow him. (laughs) Think if you're Paul, what that must have sounded like how am I going to go back and tell these people that I've encountered you and I'm now going to become someone who's telling them about Jesus when I was the one who was going around telling them all, have nothing to do with him or I'm going to get you killed. But you know what? He did what he was told. God sent him. And he had a hard time of it. He was shipwrecked. He was put in prison. He was whipped. He had all kinds of stuff happen to him. And he must have had some bad days because he wrote some really hard prayers. That God take this stuff away. He dealt with mad people. He done lots of stuff. He wrote a bunch of the books that we now call the New Testament. He wrote Galatians 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians. He wrote Romans, Ephesians, Philemon, Colossians and Philippians. And most of them were while he was in prison. And then one Timothy and two Timothy and Titus he wrote as well. And he was in prison again. This is a guy who hated God's people. He didn't hate God. He never hated God. He always loved God. But the way he thought he was serving God was killing God's people. He finished well. He knew he was a sinner. In 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, here's something that's trustworthy that deserves full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He knew who he was. He knew what he had been. But you know what was more important? He knew who changed him. He knew who came into his life. He knew who he met on that road 
fallen off his donkey or his horse or whatever it was. He knew who was in that blinding light. He knew the savior of his soul and he knew the one who had set him on a new course and he knew the one who was him free. Here were three men. They were all human. They were all flawed. Every one of them was anointed by God. Every one of them, at some stage, experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every one of them. And I think there's so much that we can learn from them if we're willing to take the time. One who started well and finished really badly. And I hope and pray that, we're, that I'm not him. Because it's not too late yet for me to finish badly. It's not too late yet for any of us to finish badly. But it's not too late yet for any of us to finish well either. One who started amazingly. David, one of the first things he did was kill a giant when he was only a kid. He won a war single-handedly. He started off amazing and messed it up somewhere in the middle. But then got himself right with God again and finished well. And then one who started off really badly and finished by saying, I have run the race and I've kept the faith. And I wonder, which one am I? And which one are you? And more importantly, which one do you want to be? Because we still have time to choose. If we're here, you all look like you're still alive at the minute. Maybe not for much longer. But you're still alive right now. So as long as we have breath in our bodies, we have a chance. As long as we have life, we have choices. As long as we have opportunity, we can choose to do the good. As long as we have opportunity, we can choose to do the good. We can choose to decide, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. You know what? I live in a world where loads of people don't want me to have anything to do with God. You live in a world where loads of people don't want you to have anything to do with God. You live in a world, some of you live in a world, because I lived in a world, because I was a good professing atheist who wanted nothing to do with God and didn't want anyone believing in him. And then became a follower of Jesus and had to go back and kind of go, actually, kind of sort of changed a little bit. And people looking at me, what? You? Yeah, me. What choices do we need to make? What choices do you need to make? Saul made choices and they brought him into a very bad place because he was more worried about what people thought of him. Or actually, he was more worried about what he thought about what people thought of him than he was about what God thought of him. David got himself sorted out because he was worried about what God thought about him. And Paul finished well because he knew what God thought about him. And he knew who he was. And even more importantly, he knew whose he was. And the question for you today is, whose are you? And what are you going to do with that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, 
Lord, I want to ask you that, that, that whatever is in our heads and our hearts right now, whatever, Lord, that you, that you would show us the decisions that we need to make to live the life that you called us to live. You created us to be your children. You created us to be your daughters and your sons, to be your princes and princesses, to be your warriors, to be your kingdom people on this planet. Lord, you placed us into jobs, you placed us into communities, you placed us in families. Maybe they're not great jobs, communities, and families, but they are where we are. And Lord, I pray right now for people who have a fear of what other people think of them. That right now you would set them free from that fear. And that includes me, Lord. That includes me. That you would set us free to be who we're supposed to be. And not be worried about what the people I walk with, the people I live with, the people who are on my street think about me. But to be much more concerned about what you think about me. This is not a prayer, but I just want to say this. I still remember the day where I needed to tell Anne that I had made a commitment to give me life to Jesus and how hard that was. And she believed in God. And how hard it was in work. And how hard it was with friends that we had. But I want to say, God is faithful. He never left me swinging. He never didn't come through. He never, I've never made a stand for God where he hasn't shown up. So Lord, I pray that that you would do that for everyone else. That Lord, if there's people in this room who are afraid to make a stand for you, that you would help them too. Lord, if there's people making choices right now that are going to leave them into a bad end, that you would show them what them choices are and show them how to make better ones. I pray that you would show us the path that you have laid out. Because it's a better one than the one we're going to find ourselves. So Lord, I pray you are now anointing just rest on people. Let your spirit come right now. Just in this next few seconds, Lord, I pray your spirit would come and speak to our hearts. I want to invite you, if you do not know Jesus in the way I'm even talking about him. If this is alien or strange. I would say to you, just simply say to him, Jesus, come in and show me. Show me my heart and show me your heart. I'd like to meet you today. Just simply invite him in. And if you've already done that, and right now you don't know what's going on or what choices you need to make or even are you making, then just invite him into them spaces. Because he will come.
and he will show you and he will be with you in the middle of whatever you're in. Lord, I pray your blessing over each and every person in this room, over the kids, over the girls who are helping with the kids, over the folks who aren't here today, and over this neighborhood, Lord, in the peace of Christ, God. May your presence fill this place and fill our lives. Father, may we finish well. May we finish well.